0: If you're of a certain age like I am, there's a word that may be on your mind. That word is downsizing. And it leads to other daunting words like decluttering and moving. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. But sometimes one word can make a difference. And recently I came across the title of a book that helped me reframe how I was thinking about these topics. The book is Right Size Today to Create Your Best Life Tomorrow. Welcome to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey, and our guest today is the author of that book, Marnie Jameson. She's a nationally syndicated home design columnist, award winning journalist, speaker, and frequent TV guest. Her humorous and helpful column, At Home with Marnie Jameson, appears weekly in two dozen newspapers nationwide, reaching several million readers and more through social media and her blog. Her fans include readers who have been following the author's home adventures for two decades. She's been featured on such primetime shows as NBC Nightly News. And one reviewer wrote of her, thank Irma Bombeck, meets Rachel Ray in one humble yet helpful package. In addition to her new book, Right Size Today to Create Your Best Life Tomorrow, A motivational guide for those seeking their ideal home later in life, she's the author of six other books, including Downsizing the Family Home, What to Save, and What to Let Go. That was a number one Amazon bestseller that won numerous awards. She joined us today from Florida. Marnie, thanks for making time for us today.
1: Thank you for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So this is a topic that's of interest to our guests, but also myself. And right-sizing sounds much more appealing than downsizing. What are the upsides that you see in right-sizing?
1: Well, I always prefer to call it right-sizing because we all all along the way in our lives, we should be editing our things. So we have just enough stuff and not too much and not too little. And to get that sweet spot, I don't want to live like a monk. I, I like my stuff. I enjoy having things, but I don't need too many things. So there's a sweet spot. And I think right sizing is is much more a beat sounding than, than downsizing. In fact, Joe, I'm going to coin another term that I haven't used in public yet, but it's bright sizing. Uh Uh-huh. Let's go with that
0: that really captures it. I, th- I think that having read your book, that really does encapsulate what you're talking about. Because I make the point in the book that it's not really just about all the physical, practical elements, it's really about your life and that next next vision, vision for your life. And right-sizing isn't theoretical for you, you've lived it. Tell us about your first experience right-sizing when you were living in Colorado and what's that taught you?
1: Oh goodness, well, unfortunately along some happens to half of half of us married folks i ended up having a divorce after a long marriage and i moved from colorado to florida back in 2011 and i had a big old house in florida or in colorado and i I didn't know what my living situation was going to be and i really couldn't afford much i was a journalist at at a newspaper i was a health reporter the orlando sentinel doesn't pay a lot and i had my daughter with me and i uh, I was trying to figure out, where am I going to be able to afford? And I landed into this opportunity to be a live-in home stager, which is really a crazy thing, but you live in nice homes. And I, I like nice homes and you, for a minimal fee, a, a property management fee, you get to live in it as long as you stage it beautifully and you keep it clean and show ready from nine to five every day. So I was at work from nine to five, my daughter's at school and I figured, well, let's give it a go. <laughs> so the downside of that was the better you are at it, the faster the place sells and the more often you have to move. So I ended up living in six houses in four years. And Joe, if you want to learn how to downsize, you just start moving a lot. I was a vagabond. And I would look at a box of books and just go, no, I am not moving those one more time or a box of China. I'm like, I'm done. I am over it. So, I really learned to live light and lean. And also, I'd have to pay for the moves every time. So, I didn't want to overpay because I had too much stuff. So, that's what taught me how to be a good purger. And of course, that isn't the end of the story. P.S. I then meet my husband now, and a wonderful man, and he was a widower and he had a fully loaded house that he had lived in for 20 years with his late wife. And so, when we merged our houses. I wrote downsizing the blended home. One house plus one house has to equal one house. Technically, we each had to get rid of half a house, but I'd already done that. But he kept saying, well, how come you're not getting rid of anything? I'm like, because I've been perching for six house, six moves. <laughs> so anyway, it's a journey.
0: Absolutely. And, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I tend to be a saver of things. My wife is a tosser of things. So we have that ongoing di- dynamic. In anticipation of moving in the relatively near future, I've noticed I a bunch of books last year, more books on on iPad than I did physical books, which I love. But that's an area of conflict is how many books there are around the house. So managing the, managing all of those things. I'm,
1: I'm guilty of quite a few books around here.
0: It's the best thing. So what things have you noticed give people pause about right-sizing?
1: Well, gosh, I can answer that a couple ways. The biggest obstacles I hear people have are, oh, you know, I just, it's just too much trouble or I have too much furniture or there are too many memories here. And this sort of complacency kicks in, this inertia and people get weighed down by stuff when that's really, it makes me sad that their stuff would be preventing them from living their best life in the best place for them. And so whenever I hear someone say, oh, it's too much trouble, it just makes me really sad. It makes me feel like they're throwing in the towel and they're not willing to do the work and plow through and get to the greener pasture. And I think that there are, then when more literally the stuff that gives people pause will be the sentimental things like their photographs or the the diplomas. Sometimes it's work memorabilia. Trophies that you've had from your job. I've thrown 100% of mine away. I did not care. But some people get attached and plaques. Mm. So, no, no, I have plaques too, but (laughs) to a point, you need to learn how to let go and just keep evolving and stop living in the past and live for now and the future. Because, darling, that's all we've got, right?
0: Great points. So, you also point out in your new book, Right Size Today, that it starts with the vision, the vision of the future. What advice would you offer people on how to envision their right-sized future?
1: So that's a great question. And I have a a couple of exercises. I know you've read the book, but, you know, know, there are a lot of articles out there on where should you retire, best cities to retire. And I don't know about you, Joe, but I'm not average. You're not average. You know, who's average? This is good for the average person. But some people like to live where they have a view of the mountains and, and horses grazing in the pasture. And some people want to live near theater and restaurants. Some people want to live on the golf course. Some people want to live on the beach. I don't know where your best place is. So this gives you a tally of what actually matters to you. Now, I'm not a math whiz, but I did create a data-driven tool where you answer some questions about, is it important to you to live near your family? Now, in a study, there were 7% of people move farther away from their family. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But maybe not, not that important to everybody. What about you being close to great hospitals or good climate? You and for some people, good climate is four seasons with snow, and some it's warmer. So you not only do you, does the book ask you to list what is important to you, but on a scale, like one to five. So you can create a weighted average, which is a really lofty term. And I, I swear you don't have to multiply higher than five, but you get an actual calculation about where you would find your best life possibly. Where where has most of the things that matter to you?
0: I'm just adding in the term sports arenas into my <laughs> my weighted average. Okay. To make sure it's accurate. Good. Yep. It's a great tool.
1: And you can add to it, just like you did, things that aren't on it. Like somebody wrote to me and said, how come you didn't put in political climate? I'm like, because well, that isn't important to me. But if it's important to you to live near like-minded people who share your political philosophies, But there's a write-in, so you can add that variable and make that part of the equation.
0: Because as you mentioned, it's what's important to you that you want to really calibrate and calculate. That's right. So a number of things about your book stood out to me, and one of them was that there are multiple versions of right-sizing. I hadn't considered that. It's not just about going smaller. Tell us about some of the other options that people can consider, like same-sizing and upsizing?
1: Absolutely. And I love that question, too. So thank you. It's really about what do you need in your life going forward? I I like to define right sizing as moving to or creating a home that is the perfect physical, emotional, social, and financial fit. So for today and going forward, looking ahead. So I think about four puzzle pieces, the physical, how big or how small the emotional, how well does it feed you in terms of the sports arenas or the theaters or the good restaurants or the view of the water, the social, your friends and family and financial. It's got to be financially comfortable for you, obviously, or that's not not going to work. So all that has to click. And I want to back up for just a second and say what happens instead is that people get to the sort of freedom threshold, their late 50s, early 60s, where They are no longer commuting to a job. They may have bought the house they live in because it was near their work or near their kids' schools or the schools they wanted their kids to attend. And fast forward 20, 30 years, we're about where you are, and the kids are out of the house. The schools don't really matter to you anymore or at all. And you are working remotely, or you're retired, or you're planning to retire, or you, you can work from anywhere. And so why are you living in this house? that has five bedrooms and you still have your kids' Cub Scout uniforms in the attic. I mean, this is nuts. So really start vision envisioning what would you do? What would it look like? What would your house be like? Do you want more more bedrooms so you can have the grandkids stay with you? Do you want fewer because nobody's coming anymore? You want to lock and go travel. So the variety of ways to right-size including, is not limited to I had a couple when I talk in my in the center portion of my book, I have a how they did it. A couple that had a beautiful house on the lake where they raised their kids. And they had a lot of parties, but it was too big after the kids left. They sold that house and bought two. They bought a small lock up and go house in Florida where they're from. And they bought another small house in Wisconsin where their first grandbaby was going to be born. And they have also a family in Chicago. So they are now, they have two houses for the price of one it's worked beautifully for them. Others have upsized. They just really wanted that bigger house. They've always, they always lived a little too tight. The grandkids are coming. It's actually a third of people who buy a house after age 55, one third upsize. Half either same size or upsize. So that's why it's right sizing. It's not about downsizing, but sometimes half the people downsize and that's brilliant too. So it's really, really about what you need, what you can afford, and what's a good fit.
0: So then, there's that issue of all that stuff, and what advice do you have on how to manage the process of decluttering, and how to live with less stuff?
1: Well, first of all, you spend half of your life accumulating things, and the second half of your life unaccumulating things. If you're if you're smart, and I just what I mean is like you know you're. When you're younger and you're, you're getting, you are you're have to get the dining room table and the, and the crib and the high chair and the, all the toys and the things that you get over time and, and fill your house with furniture and stuff and life and all that's great. And then you're like, whoa, the kids move out and you're like, oh man, what a mess. And you need to start kind of coming down the other side and start lifting through and lightening up. So there are a number of ways to tackle that. And I think, and I also I'll usually end by saying it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not a one and done. But people often ask, where do you start? And I like to say, start in a big place that bothers you a lot, not in a small place that is going to take a lot of time and not show much for your for your results. So a good place is the garage. If you cannot park, if it's a two-car garage, you cannot park two cars in the garage, you have issues. So start moving things out. If it's in the garage in the first place, it's not that important or it would be in the garage. So let's start there and let's get both your cars in. And then maybe start with the linen closet because you can't be that attached to your pillows and sheets and towels, right? So thin out the ones that are frayed, dingy, stained, don't really, towels that aren't really thirsty, sheets that are hot or don't fit. Like, why are you keeping these, right? Get rid of all the things that you don't need, use and love and pare it down just to what is working for you. There's a whole section in my book too about how to buy it right so you don't end up with mediocre stuff in your linen closet and anywhere else in your house. And then move on to your clothing closet. So a kitchen. So take, take it a room at a time and really, really thin it out. And then save the personal stuff. Jewelry's personal and it's small, but there's a good, a good way to, to get through that too. And also photos are a sinkhole. So uh, you want to get those organized and get them all off the scan and get them digitally stored.
0: You mentioned before memories can get in the way. That can, that can be a stumbling block. Any advice for people who might be too attached to some things because of the sentimental reasons? How do you manage that in decluttering?
1: Yeah, so there there are two questions there. Some people have memories of the house itself and the experiences. Are All the Christmases, all the potlucks that we hosted for the high school soccer team, la la la. Well, guess what? You get to take memories with you. They don't stay in a house, they stay in your heart. So there's that. In terms of sentimental attachment, and that, and I wrote my first book that got me all on this whole cascade of books. It's called Downsizing the Family Home, and I wrote about cleaning out my parents' house where they had lived for fifty years, and how enormously difficult that was. They saved a lot of things. They were they were both in World War II, so they were. My mom was an army nurse. My dad was a Marine fighter pilot. They came through that whole era of. of of depression and saving things. When my mom was born in Scotland, she was very frugal. And, you know, She saved everything. So it was a lot. And it wasn't a big house, but it was packed to the gills. So I wanted to be a very good steward of their lives and be respectful of all the things that they thought it was important to save. But I had to come up with a, a, a mindset to work through it. And one of the things that guided me along the way was this notion that when everything is important, nothing is important. So if you, if I couldn't take my parents' whole house, but I could take a few things. So I have my mom's pearls. I have a cigar box. My dad had a wooden cigar box. And that's kind of all I need. I have a couple paintings. Um, my mom's China. But that's all I need to touch on them and to know that they're part of my life and a part of my history. But I didn't need to bring everything with me. So I think that's important. So, touch get a couple of things that are your touch points that really help connect you to that loved one, and also if you're with your own furniture, sofas kind of like I always say, keep the pearls, not the piano. Maybe keep the the precious vase, but not the sectional. So, pick things that are small and and conducive to your life going forward.
0: Thanks for sharing all that, and. You have some interesting recommendations on what to do with this stuff. Where should it go? And what are some options that aren't maybe as efficient or as appealing as we might think? What are some things you've learned about where the stuff should go?
1: So I actually have my book, other book was what to do with everything you own to leave the legacy you want. And there really are off ramps for everything and ways to monetize. And I like the idea of turning that money into meaning, which we can talk about some other time. but. The avenues for sale, first of all, hard fact, super disappointing. Whatever you think your stuff is worth, it's not. It's just not. It depreciates faster than a car driven off of a lot. It is just not worth it. So you have to realize it's used, it's lived its useful life for you. And now it's time to go somewhere else. So get rid of any mindset of how much something is worth and get somebody in there who can help you sell it. And there are many, There consignment stores, which are kind of a slow way to go. I've run into recently a, a service called Concierge Movers, and they, they will help sell your furniture for a commission and kind of keep you out of it. So you don't get all upset when you see somebody carting off something that was important to you, but you, the cash will make you feel better. There are, you know, certainly Facebook Marketplace is a really good place to sell Craigslist. You know, I used to really like Craigslist. Some people have problems with some of the, there's a little bit of sh- some of the shenanigans and scams happen on there. But there are ways you can protect yourself. But it's a little more dicey. The moving concierge is great, and and certainly going to pawn shops. You know, I've I've sold my you know some gold jewelry that I'll never wear again to jewelry stores or you know jewelry buyers. Get it? They too take it for melt and I put I have a. A, a trust that I'm keeping for my girls and I put it in there, it's a perfect way, place for that to convey. So you can sell almost anything online anymore and just be realistic and also be realistic about this is another hard fact that most people boot me off the stage when I remind them that the kids don't want your stuff. Like, oh, I'm saving the, the hutch for, you know, Joe and Sally, they're going to need it. No, they don't want your hutch. They don't want your 12 piece dining set. They don't want any of that. They don't want your headboard. They want their own stuff. So leave them out of it. Ask them. And when they say no, believe them and move on.
0: Great advice. So there are a lot of great stories in your new book. What's one story that you can share that really shows how right-sizing made someone's life much better?
1: Well, my brother is a great example. Uh, We were born and raised in Southern California, and it's not quite what it was when we were growing up. And he stayed there. I left 20 years ago. He stayed in California. He was an architect and at a going concern. And he and his wife recently both retired. She was in magazine publishing. And they were getting really tired of LA and the traffic and the cost of living. In, uh, the, just all of the congestion and just the stress of living in Los Angeles. And they moved to, of all places, Midland, Michigan. Just this last October. And it was a little bit of an eye-opener of all places to move, but they wanted Four Seasons. They have a house that is twice as big for a third of the price of what they were paying in in Southern California. So it's a wonderful financial move. She has family there and a sister and a a brother-in-law and their kids were there. And uh, my brother and, and wife don't have children. So it was nice to move to that. So they just, my brother was so stressed out about it. I mean, he literally had to go to a, a therapist, and I you know how can I go get his head around this whole move and giving up his identity as a an architect. And he is so happy. He plays guitar. He has his website with all of his guitar. He's playing all these beautiful songs. He's joined a guitar club. He's drawing. He's having. He said, "I cannot get over waking up every day and feeling like it's Saturday." Like I'm very jealous. <laughs> but they are loving it so. Yeah. Took him a while to figure out where, whether, and then then just bite the bullet and go. Now, I will say, Joe, I think it's important for people to realize that you don't have to stick the landing. You you might mess up. And everyone's like, what what if I don't like it? What if I what if it didn't work out? Well, it might not. It probably will. The statistics show, in fact, 88% of people who moved to another state are happy they did. That's a lot. I think 12% of people will never be happy, but there's that. So there's, I have a a woman who course corrected. She got where she thought she wanted to be and it wasn't quite right, but she wasn't supposed to be where she was, but she moved to a place wasn't quite right. So she moved again and then she got it right. So it's okay. Be nimble, be forgiving, be open.
0: So glad you brought that up because I did notice that chapter in your book. And that was my backup question. So you hit it. And it is a great important message. Don't have to stick to the landing. Marnie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today and making us much smarter about the upsides of rate sizing
1: Well, thank you for having me. I will just say visualize, then realize. Don't be a chicken. If not now, when? Live well and get going.
0: Well said. Thank you. So now it's time to talk about takeaways. What did you learn from today's conversation with Marnie Jameson that you can use? Here are my ideas. Number one, what's the right size for you? I must confess before reading her book, I was thinking just about a singular direction of downsizing. She really expanded the range of options, same sizing, upsizing even, that two-for-one deal that she mentioned a couple pursued. So what's the right size for you going forward? Number two it's not just about the home. It's about the lifestyle. So another example where Marnie expanded my thinking, there's a lot of time spent on the physical part of this issue. And again, I think she offered some other dimensions to consider, like the emotional part of things, the other things that you will need. What are the most important things that you want in this next place? Number three, Could your material possessions be holding you back from a better life? I personally got a lot out of this part of the conversation, although if my wife is listening, she will say, let's see what you do with it, because I tend to be a saver. But I think it was an interesting point she made that the memories are not in the stuff, they're not in the things. And so you really should focus on what you need and not get caught up in the stuff. So I hope you found this to be a useful conversation. I appreciate you listening, and if you're retiring, you might be interested in the best books on retirement series that's on the website, retirementwisdom.com. It includes a lot of books that you may not expect because they're not specifically all about retirement, but they highlight things that you can use to create your retirement, the one you've worked so hard to earn. Thanks for listening.